Hi, good afternoon. My name is Terry C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi, Bill's story. So, Maria, great job on the doctor's opinion, and uh, obviously it's in the right place in the book, perfect place to uh, first discover what the facts are about the disease, the convincing testimony, the medical estimate. And now Bill's experience with... uh, The first eight pages living in the problem and the second eight pages living in the solution. Um, So if you read Bill's story, and I'm just going to kind of go through it chronologically in in page order, but, you know, he starts off talking about uh, his experience as a military guy and a war veteran. And um, at that young age, in his early 20s, alcohol was comforting to him. It was exciting. It was invigorating. He uses the word invigorating. He discovered liquor. Um, What I really relate to with the food is that, um, you know, food was what, you know, made me feel connected. The irony was I wasn't connected to anyone. I was just connected to food. But it made me feel connected. It made me feel that, um, you know, the more I had it, it said, you know, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect. I liked the effect. I felt better with myself. I felt fixed, you know, like I was fixed. Um, But I was really trying to get everybody to fix me, and when they couldn't, just more food might be the answer. Um, but I really relate to, uh, you know, I can't relate to being a war veteran. The one thing that I, that the visual that I relate to is he felt important, right? He said, uh, he says that, um, he fancied, he fancied himself a leader for the men of his battery had given him a special token of appreciation. I picture this military guy in a suit, right? So he's in this military suit and, um, and uh, ego was there, right? And, and ego was there for me. You know, when I walked into OA, um, I walked in with a suit. It just wasn't a military suit. And it was really literally a suit. I was part of corporate America, and I was climbing the ladder. And I had this suit, you know, and I have my suits. And, you know, and everything was perfect in my life because I was just managing everything just fine, except I was doing this, and my body was doing this because of my behavior, because I was trying to find comfort in food, because this wasn't to God. This was just to things. This was just to notoriety. This was just to importance. And that's what Bill talks about on the next page, which I really relate to, you know. He talks about the drive for success being on. He would prove to the world he was important. I relate so much to that. I relate so much to that, because that's exactly where my life had taken me up until that point when I walked in here and I was telling a therapist, everything in my life is perfect. If I could just lose weight, everything would be fine. I had no idea what kind of the real value of my life, the real you know, content of my life was. It was not fine. It was not good. Um, and then he starts to allude to the fact that drinking started to become continuous for him. So he's still young. He's newly married. It became disturbing to his wife. I couldn't even see what my eating was doing. I don't know about you, anybody here, but I, I, it reflected in my weight. It was reflected in my size. But I couldn't see how selfish I was in so many aspects of my life. I couldn't see, you know, what it was doing to my family. I couldn't see how I was never present 
for anything or anyone. My job, my family, my husband. We had our children late, so a lot of my years, I remember it just being the two of us. You know, I wasn't present for any of that. Food was really the only thing I was present for, and then we know that that numbing effect eventually lasted about a millisecond. You know, it, it, it didn't last. Um, but so the first few pages, you know, he's talking about, you know, the drive, the fortune, the success, how all of that was so important to him. But he's weaving into the fact that, oh, liquor kept happening too, and it was causing a, a few disturbances in his life. You know, because from my vantage point, it was a little disturbance. It was just a little thing that I needed some help with maybe, and I never admitted to anybody I needed help with it. But, um, you know, I wasn't seeing that it was, it was really my God. It was really becoming so big. And, and he says, drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. I'm on page three, by the way. Drinking, drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. He's starting to realize that after, you know, a couple of pages of drinking, you know, that it's taking an important part of his life. Um, you know, I remember manipulating people like my sister to get me food. I'm in my early 30s, and I'm like, you know, I'm going over to my sister's house to help myself in the cabinets. You know, when I did my ninth step amends, I had to apologize for taking her food. You know, because I went there with the motive. I didn't think so at the time, but I went there with the motive to eat what she would have in her cabinets because... It's probably the same thing I had in mind, but it was more. And that was the, that was the operative word. It was more. Or it, it, you know, I would call it a visit when really it was just another binge session. So, um, you know, and I think this is one thing that occurred to me recently, too. Um, the, ex you know, the recreational things that I would do that I would say were recreational, but they all centered around food. Like... I could find you the best dinner theater in the world because I love theater, you know. And I could find you, you know, um, everything revolved around food, even though I love the arts. But I loved the arts second. I loved food first, you know. And, and I was so cultural. <laughs> but really, I was just so addicted to food. That's really what was going on. So um, he, he's building his drunk-a-log now, just like I built my food-a-log um, on page three. His drinking was assuming serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. Operative phrase for me, lone wolf. Because the more I connected with food, the more I disconnected from people, places, and things in a way that I should. They still were people, places, and things I needed, but there was no meaning. There was no relationship. You know, I understand the word relationship today. I had no idea what that meant. I really had no idea what that meant. You know, I really had no idea that that was, that was really something that took one human relating to another human on an emotional level, on an honest level. I didn't understand that. I, I had no idea. And wasn't food that much easier when you don't understand that? You know, food is just that much easier. Um, he talks about these different, like, you know, points in his life. Like, he gets involved in golf. 
well, guess what? The country clubs are fraught with bars and bartenders who will be all too happy to serve you, and, and it's a social place. You know, alcohol is very social, just like food can be very, very social. Very social, right? I mean, I'm Italian. How much more social does food get? It's pretty <laughs> social. It's pretty social. Um, and then, you know, this is all the buildup of losing your life to a substance, you know, losing your life to an addictive substance like food. At least this is what Bill's describing in the first four to five pages, and I so relate to this, you know. I'm sitting in the therapist's chair, and I'm, chair, and I'm saying if I could just lose weight, love, life would be perfect. But I had no idea that food was my master. I had no idea. I thought I was the master and food was a little problem, you know. But I will be honest with you. You know, dieting wasn't anything I ever really did. Only did it a couple times, restrained, you know, and I learned in one of those paid programs how to eat enormous amounts of low-calorie foods, you know, enormous amounts. Like, nobody eats eight pa uh, uh, three packages of broccoli for dinner. No one does that. It's not normal, you know. But you could do all that. It was legal, you know. <laughs> and, but it's insane. It's legal, but it's insane. Um, but I, uh, I was thinking recently about um, the fact that diet pills were really what I liked. I didn't really use them a lot. There were two strong periods in my life where I used them. And that's the only controlled eating. I know it was chemically controlled. And besides, I was you know, living dishonestly and thought you and I needed to be perfect. So diet pills got, my, you know, got me in gear. I mean, I could just do it. You know, I could just keep doing it. And my eating was under control, and I could, you know, I could just keep getting those projects done and, you know, whipping my life into shape and yours too. Um, you know, that's what diet pills did for me. You know, I, uh, I had this crazy story. My first bout with diet pills, I, w I had just graduated college, and, um, and my roommate and I went to Europe, we backpacked through Europe, and I left with my first supply of diet pills. So I came back 25 pounds later, and it was just eureka. I mean, you know, I had the world at my feet. It was, you know, I had traveled, I had my college degree, and I was 25 pounds thinner, and I couldn't stop talking slow, or racing my heart racing, or get to sleep at night, or do anything sanely. You know, but it was the answer because it was the quick fix, right? I don't know how many quick fixes you may have tried, but those were my favorites. Um, but page four, Bill really touches me at a point in my story directly because he's talking about the stock market crash and he's talking about how, you know, it was a serious, serious thing for people who had their lives wrapped up in finances, right? Or for anyone, right? No one was going to be able to live on their, on their current, in their current financial situation. And he talks about the papers reported, this is in the middle of four, page four, the papers reported men jumping to death from the tire, towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Men and women drink and eat essentially because they like the effect. That effect was what he sought. He wasn't going to deal with He couldn't distinguish the true from the false. He wasn't going to deal with the reality of this. And he also wasn't going to kill himself. He was going to find solace and comfort in the alcohol. 
So my son, who's 27 years old, was a few months old. It was a Sunday morning. Um, I wasn't doing diet pills, but I was totally out of control. My food was out of control. My life was out of control. My husband, I was convinced our marriage may be in ruins just because, of course, he wasn't doing anything my way. Um, and I was a rageaholic. I don't like admitting that, but I was. And that morning, I can't even tell you what the argument about. It might have been over burnt toast for all I know. It was a Sunday morning. It was breakfast time. And I know I had just thrown some kind of a tantrum that a 30-some-year-old woman doesn't do. Not, it's not normal behavior, but I had thrown some kind of tantrum. And my husband was standing there looking at me as if I was a monster, because I really was a monster. And he was holding my three-month, four-month-old son, and they were both. My son was crying. My husband had tears coming down his face, and he was just looking at me like he had no idea who I was. I didn't even know who I was. And I was, you know, for a split second I thought, I'm insane. And then I went back to eat my breakfast while he stood there looking at me. That's, I went back to the bar. I mean, I went back to the bar. And I did it while he was ready to jump out the window. Because I think that would have been his next move. Or leave. Or leave. It was that bottom. It was that bottom where I knew food was a necessity, the top of five, which is one of my favorite lines, because it's the, it's the realization that food was never going to be my friend. It wasn't going to be a luxury. It wasn't going to be a helper. It wasn't going to be a solace or comfort or any of those things. It was a necessity. I needed it. I needed it. There was nothing else I knew that was going to calm me. So this is my counter. That, that'll tell you the time, too. Great. Thank you. So, um, you know, I relate to, to Bill's story that way and, and the hopelessness, you know, the hopelessness. I felt so hopeless that morning. I felt so hopeless that morning. I felt as if, you know, I was failing everyone, mostly myself, but I was failing everyone. I was five, one and a half. I was over 210 pounds. And I couldn't really see what I looked like. I'm sh I, I, I see pictures of myself now, and I'm like, wow, like I never, I never saw that, you know? I never saw that. I don't know what I saw, <laughs> you know? I don't know what I saw. But um, in that same paragraph where he says liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity, um, he also says, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And that was always thought I would come back to. You know, further on in the book it says that I suffered from the delusion that I could wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I managed well. And I never really tried to manage my food well, but I tried to manage everything else really well. Really, really well. And I relate to Bill, because he thought the same thing. You know, he thought he could control the liquor situation I, I was one of those people also, you know, um, I'm going to eat this now, but the next time it's put in front of me, I'm not going to eat it. You know, I'd have those delusional thoughts, you know, delusional thoughts that I am good. I am good at so many things. I'm definitely not going to have this beat me, you know, because I had this ego the size of Texas, and 
So food wasn't going to, it just wasn't going to do that. It wasn't going to kill me. I couldn't see that it was going to kill me. It's so clear to me today. So clear to me today. I have two choices when I wake up in the morning, live or die. Those are the choices. Do I want to stay in this program? Do I want to stay in these steps? Do I want to live? Or do I want to push this aside and die? Because that's as clear as it gets for me. So he's facing the fact about the bottom of six that's had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I remember standing in the front of a mirror at, a, at the Hershey Hotel where I was attending a meeting, and I has, was putting a dress on that I had just bought frantically. I, like, literally ran out to a store at a mall and bought this dress. And I realized that uh, I had worked so hard. That was one of my diet stints. I'd worked so hard to try to lose weight, and I was still in this god-awful size. And I put on this dress, and I thought, I guess I'm just going to have to eat the way the diet club tells me to eat for the rest of my life. That's my choice. Like, I'm going to have to do that controlled eating for the rest of my life. That's my choice. And I knew I stunk at it. I knew, I w- I knew it wasn't easy for me. I knew I hated it. I hated it because I hated myself. I hated myself, so I hated that, and I hated all the people involved in that. It just not going to work. So, you know, shortly afterward, I know that I ate. You know, one of the things also I was thinking about was the fact that I worked for a company that, um, you know, a big company that was very, uh, I don't know, just fraught with excess. So anytime we traveled, you know, there was always a stocked refrigerator. You know, if you went more than a day, you were always in some kind of hotel room that had a kitchen. It was always a stocked refrigerator, big expense account, eat at fancy restaurants. I mean, it was a food addict's dream. It really was, you know. Um, and I realize now, like, how high I got from so much of that, you know, how high I got from so much of that, how... Um, when, you know, we used to take turns hosting meetings and we used to try to outdo one another who could, like, you know, treat everybody better. And how do we do it? With food and alcohol. That's how we did it, with food and alcohol, you know. And uh, when I look back on it, it was really stealing because everybody took advantage of the company's money in a way that was just excess for no reason, you know. The courage to do battle was never there. For me, I'm on six. The hopelessness of Bill when he talks about the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning was unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. You know, I didn't have any courage to battle the food. That morning when I went back and ate my breakfast while my, my husband stood there, you know, totally demoralized and in despair, and I had no remorse. I mean, I had no courage. I had no remorse. So... um I didn't, uh, I came into the rooms and uh, people were happy that they weren't eating. (laughs) And I just really thought they were crazy. You know, I just figured, and I I figured they all weren't sincere because if they were telling the truth, you know, I would know it. And I figured they weren't telling the truth, you know. Um, And when they talked about not eating my food, alcoholic foods, like not eating them at all, I knew that they were lying. I knew that couldn't be so. And I knew they weren't going to do it for the rest of their life, or at least they weren't going to do it for long periods of time. Um, I never really had a strong will to diet, so, you know, I couldn't believe that 
and that was my concept, right? That must be how they're doing it. And for a really, really long time, um, I kind of followed the suit of some of the misunderstanding in the room that that's how they were doing it, you know, themselves. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that I came into the rooms not understanding. I didn't have an Evie when I came in the rooms. I had people that talked about losing weight and controlling their foods, but I really didn't have a lot of people that talked about the solution and finding God as the solution. I had a lot of people that talked about policing food and controlling food and doing the steps, but I never really got to work with a lot of people who knew how to do the steps. I worked with a lot of people who talked about the steps. Mm -hmm. And and that's okay. That was, you know, as far as they had gotten. And so I got that far too. Um, so when, when I came in the rooms, um, the one thing I saw immediately was that um, food was my master, page eight. Quicksand definitely stretched all around me and I had met my match. I was overwhelmed. I didn't, when the, when the therapist said, um, there's a group that helps people with food addiction, it's called Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, I was totally insulted. <laughs> I was totally insulted because my ego the size of Texas didn't think that he could really see the fact that I had a problem with food. I didn't think I had a problem with food, but he thought I had a problem with food, and I thought, well, um, maybe I should just try this thing because I'm codependent and he has a medical degree and I don't. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's how I came in here. And when I got in here um, and, I, and people were talking about not eating their alcoholic foods, um, I did see they were happy. I did see that there was peace among many of them. Um, and I knew this was something to be had. I knew. I had to admit it. I had to admit, you know, I had to concede my innermost self, that I had a problem with food, and that something had to be done about it. So um, just kind of trying to wrap up the last eight pages, um, Ebby came to see Bill, and what he gave Bill was hope. I heard that someone say that this morning, and it's so true. He gave Bill hope, hope that he could have a different life. And, oh, yeah, sure, sorry. Um, and that's what I got when I came in the rooms. I got hope that I could have a different life and that I didn't have to be, you know, food didn't have to be my master. And um, I guess I want to, there's so much of the beginning of my story, but I guess what I want to summarize it by saying with, with how it relates to Bill and the book is um, I knew that it was a practical program of action, but I didn't understand all of it. I understood one, two, and three pretty darn well but maybe not two and three to the extent that I did because they're so connected to the rest of them. Um, but I did what everyone was doing, and I realized early on what my alcoholic foods were, and I needed to put them down. And, you know, Bill saw that hope in Evie, Evie and he needed to put the alcohol down. And so what did he do? He did what Evie told him to do. And Evie told Bill to do the six tenants and to do those things which are eventually became the 12 steps, and Bill was like me, man, if Ebby can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and if Ebby did it right, I'm going to do it better. So, I mean, I don't, Bill doesn't say that in his story, but I believe that's what I would do, and I think that's probably what was going on. But, you know, but 
but he wanted, he wanted that he was going to have it and he was going to do everything that Ebby told him to do. And, and, that, and, he, and he completed his steps in so few days because of that. Pages um, 13 in particular summarizes how he completed these steps in such a short period of time. You know, he, he knew that was hope and he knew he was going to have it. But the most beautiful thing, and this is my favorite part of Bill's story at the top of 14, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. At the bottom, Ebby promised him that if these things were done, he would enter in a new, into a new relationship with his creator. I can tell you I've been in these rooms a long time. My relationship with my creator started seven years ago. I've been in 27 years. Seven years ago. Don't wait that long if you've been in the rooms. Don't wait that long. Um, a price had to be paid. I paid the price out of the rooms and even in the rooms for almost 20 years. You know, trying to figure it out. Doing a step study every year. Doing a fourth step every six months. Doing, I mean, I did so many insane things. Insane in the rooms. You know, Bill got those steps done and he had the correct direction. He had the correct direction. And there's so many that offer the correct direction in the rooms. There's so many meetings that offer the correct direction. I believe they're all anchored in this book. And uh, Bill didn't have the book, but he had the life that was going to lay the foot the footpath for the book. So that's why Bill's story, in my opinion, and I'm going over right now, so I'll wrap it up. Um, so I'll just finish with saying that, um, you know, the price had to be paid, but the key after that is the requirement, turning all things over to the Father of Light who presides over us all, and he presides over us all here today. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you.